and ghouls, and welcome to Frightening Tales. I'm Justin, the ghoul band Redman, investigator for burgers, and president of the K-Ghoul Horror Film Club. And I'm joined tonight by my co-host and fellow burgers investigation, the man with the 12th degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, and master flamethrower Tommy. Buenos noches. July is a month that I always look forward to, especially with my daughter, because uh, it's usually the month of Shark Week, and she loves her sharks, especially the hammerhead shark. And so we have to usually wait till like the last week of July before we can watch it. And then National Geographic turns around and goes, hey, you know what? Forget Shark Week. We have Shark Fest, which is a month long of nothing but shark videos. They got all kinds of new ones, at least. You would think they've got some new ones, but uh, it seems like they're really running out of ideas. I mean, if you look at Shark Week, Shark Week is in, what, the 30th year of uh, existence? And, I mean, how many more videos can you make of sharks? And if you look at Nat Geo, you already could see that uh, they're already out of ideas. They, they've had one where, like, sharks change colors. What do they think the shark is, Predator? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's like, come on, this shark does not change its color of its skin. It never has, never will. They got some with bioluminescence, but they're like itty-bitty. Yeah, I, watch, I was watching one the other day, too. It was about the cookie-cutter shark. Now that shark leaves a distinctive wound, and it does kind of resemble cookie-cutter. So uh, I guess uh, when it comes to being imaginative, scientists are not that. So I thought long and hard about it, and especially since we got this uh, beautiful invite to come check out this island in the Caribbean, where we're going to broadcast all month long. We got two special guests this month. I'm not going to reveal who they are, uh, but we will be at the Gills Cigar and Rum Bar at the Isla de Muertos. I know, I know. It's crazy to be going to the Isla, or to be at the Isla de Muertos island, and. Um, I'm looking forward to some great rum and some great cigars. Oh, I am too. Can you believe they actually invited the two of us out here? I think burgers might have something to do with that, or uh, they might be feeling a little lonely. But, but because of that invite, we have decided that July, we will dedicate some time to sharks. Mostly the best shark movies, and you didn't see my air quotes because uh, there's nothing good about these movies except that they're mildly entertaining and they're funny and it's kind of uh became a new tradition for me to watch these super b-rated shark movies that are so bad and you get actors like uh the guy who played urkel oh no not urkel did i do that oh yeah boy i don't know about urkel yeah he was in a, a pretty shark movie uh, a pretty bad shark movie and this year, we, we've got some movie that has the old 80s pop singer Debbie Gibson. Can you believe that? I think we're alone now. Oh, come on, Tommy. That, I don't think that was Debbie Gibson. Uh, my 80s may be a little rusty, so we'll have to check back on that. But July is dedicated to all things the sea. We got sea monsters, sea creatures, which are probably the same thing. We got some great superstitions, some sea shanties, and all kinds of other great stuff that I look forward to. Uh, like I said, the end of the month will be my best shark movies that are not Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, or anything like that. Uh, but this week, we are going to focus on the sea stories, the ones that scare the living bejeebies, that gives you the heebie-jeebies. So to speak, we've got uh, a great guest 
to talk about those kind of stories. Uh, I will introduce him in the next segment. And then the Kegel Horror Film Pick of the Week, which I haven't done for a couple weeks, but uh, I got an oldie but goodie, The Ghost Ship. I will review that later on. Uh, it's been a while since I watched it, and uh, there's a reason why uh, it's not ranked in my top favorites. But it's a great sea story. lifetime could circle it. Through the centuries, science has made man's lifetime bigger and the world smaller. Now the farthest corner of the earth is as close as a push button. And time has lost all meaning as man-made devices speed many, many times faster than sound itself. Here, near the top of the world, free men struggle with the elements to create some measure of defense to protect that self-same freedom. Distant early warning radar, sensitive electronic devices to detect the presence of objects in the sky, including bombing planes and guided missiles, and rain clouds and homing pigeons. New radar installations must be calibrated by the flying of controlled test flights to check the accuracy of the equipment and to chart a detection profile of the area in order to pinpoint blind spots the radar cannot penetrate. Bravo 8035, Angels 9. Bravo 7540, Angels 9. Bravo 7045, Angels 9. Test flight, test flight, this is Snowman 3. Give me a reading, over. Snowman 3, this is test flight. Flying vector 340 degrees from IP. Angels 10, speed 400. How do you read me? Over. Everything checks for the altitude, Mitch. We read you at Angels 9. Altimeter reads 10,000 on the nose. Better check the level on the antenna mount. Roger. How about Mademoiselle Mathematician? She got enough numbers to feed into a machine jet? Do you have all the information you need, Miss Caldwell? One more run, please. Low level coming in. One more, Mitch. Vector, 105 degrees. Low. Roger. Turning 180 degrees. Low approach. This is test flight. Over and out. Pilots were allowed to do things like that. Not Air Force pilots, you're right. But Mitch is an electronics engineer. He may work for the government, but man, he kind of makes his own rules. So does a three-year-old child until his mother spanks him. Mother, dear mother, I'm ready if you are. I uh, must have left the switch on. 
an electronics engineer, a radar officer, a mathematician and systems analyst, a radar operator, a couple of plotters. People doing a job well, efficiently, serious, having fun, doing a job. Situation, normal, for the moment. Date, the 17th of the month. Sky cloudy, overcast. Visibility limited. Time, 1332 hours. A significant moment in history. The moment when an electronics engineer named Mitchell McAfee saw something in the sky. Something that was almost the beginning of the end of life on this earth. McAfee reported instantly by radio the sighting of a UFO, an unidentified flying object. The radar officer replied that it was impossible. According to the radar scope, except for Mitch's plane, there wasn't a single solitary object of any nature whatsoever. Nothing in the sky for a radius of hundreds of miles. McAfee didn't care what the radar showed or didn't show. He knew what he saw with his own eyes, and he was determined to get a better look. McAfee turned, and so did the unidentified flying object heading toward him. There was no mistaking the urgency in McAfee's voice. Something, he didn't know what, but something as big as a battleship had just flown over and passed him at speeds so great he couldn't begin to estimate it. In national defense, it's better to be safe than sorry. The alert was sounded to scramble intercepts. Games, Major. Did you men find it? Mr. McAfee, if you were in uniform, I'd have you under arrest and facing general court-martial charges. Unfortunately, you're a civilian, and I can't touch you. What are you talking about? But I about? can send a report in on you, and I will. By the time I get through with you, Mr. Electronics Engineer, you'll be lucky if you let you test batteries for flashlights. Look, Major Bergen, I was flying a final calibration flight. I spotted a UFO, I reported it. Does that make me a criminal, a traitor to my country, or some kind of a psychopath? McAfee, you're an electronics man, an expert on radar. Sure, that's what they pay me for. If there was something in the air, something flying that you could see, would radar pick it up? Well, yes, Would radar pick it up, yes or no? Yes. There were three radars on you every minute you were in the air, not one of them, not one, saw anything but you. Look, and you were told this, you knew it. Nevertheless, you persisted with your little joke. Easy now, Bergen. You continued to yell wolf until somebody pushed the panic button and scrambled a flight of interceptors. Great. Great, so your buzz boys flew around, they couldn't find anything, so now you're mad and want me to pay for the fuel they burned up or the time they wasted or something else real smart. The flight was scrambled and dispersed to cover as wide an area as possible. And thanks to your not-so-funny false alarm, Mr. McAfee, one of those planes didn't come back. Plane and pilot both are missing. Major Bergen. What? Yes. 
Yeah, yes. Call out the standby crews. You better reshuffle your duty rosters. There'll be plenty of sweat on this one. Look, Major, I'm sorry about the pilot, but that was no false alarm. Oh, Believe come me. off it, Mitch. You've done enough harm with your flying battleship. Just, just let it... Just a moment, Miss Caldwell. That call. A transporter airlines plane is reported overdue and missing. Oh, no. 60 passengers and a full crew aboard. Got a distress call from the pilot, and nothing. No more contact. Engine trouble? No. The pilot yelled something about a... a UFO. The radio went dead. And our radars? Nothing. Nothing but the transpolar plane, alone in the sky. Well, we're finished up here, Major. No transportation ready? Plane and pilot at the field. Flying straight through to New York. Thanks. Let's get something. Flying over it. Can do. Wait till I call in. This is Air Force Zebra Love 7979 calling New York International Airport. Over. Zebra Love 7979. This is New York International Airport. Over. Altitude 8,000. Airspeed 250. Meeting unexpected storm activity Adirondack region. Request permission to change altitude to 12,000. Over. Zebra Love. 7979. Permission granted. Over. Zebra Love 7979. Roger. Out. Like I said, no sweat. Thanks, Pete. I put in a good word for you with the Major. Well, thanks, Lowe. <laughs> Welcome back to Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the ghoul man, Redman, and I'm joined by Tommy. We are in a very, uh, or I should say, we are on a very remote and hidden island down in the Caribbean. And I kind of refer to it as the Isla de Muertos because why not? Because we got Pirates of the Caribbean. We're hiding out in the, in the Caribbean itself. We were invited by Gil, the owner of of Gil's Cigar and Rum Bar. So uh, he wants to celebrate Sea Fest. He wants us to talk about sea creatures, sea stories, sea folklore, everything, including sharks. Because why should Discovery Channel and National Geographic have all the fun with Shark Week and Shark Fest? Because National Geographic kicked off their Shark Fest, whole month long of shark videos, which they are pretty much already out of videos. There's nothing new that they can add. I mean... Yesterday was like shark attack all day. I'm tired of seeing shark attacks. And I thought National Geographic's thing, or even the whole purpose of Shark Week, was to change people's perception about sharks. Well, here we are focusing on shark attacks 
and what happened, and they're trying to theorize as to why the shark bit them. You know, all you're doing is creating fear, because do I want to go in the water? Heck no, that shark's going to get me for no stupid reason. I mean, you had one where Hawaiian swimmers swimming the channel over, they're getting eaten by little cookie-cutter sharks, getting bites. And I don't know about you, I think I would rather be bitten by a bull shark than a cookie-cutter shark. You should see the hole that shark puts in you, and it's itty-bitty. It's like three foot wide or three foot long. I know, that was one heck of a shark bite. I, I, I was laughing. It's like, man, that was crazy. I watched that one, too. Them, them little shark holes, I mean, it looks like you were making donuts out of human flesh. Anyway, we'll talk about sharks a lot later in the month because this week I want to focus on sea tales. You know, the scary ones, ghost ships, missing submarines, devil's triangles, Bermuda triangles. I mean, if it could go wrong, it went wrong. Like, hey, where's Amelia Earhart's airplane? We don't know, but that's not a sea story. That's an air story. Maybe she did wind up on an island. But the first one I want to talk about is the Mary Celeste, probably the most famous ghost ship of them all. Back in 1872, a ship came across another ship just floating aimlessly. I mean, when you say aimlessly, it, the ship is probably just out there bobbing like a cork, no direction, just you know, floating around. And you know, it, it's really hard to describe aimlessly because it, it, you just can't really picture the mind. So let's see what we can do. You know, you're a crew member on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, and you see another one on the horizon. You're like... Hey, yo, hey, ship, what's up, what's up? And there's no response back from it. And you kind of look at it like, well, something's odd with it. And then your inner pirate comes out and goes, argh, I think we should board the ship. And argh. And so you pull up next to the ship and notice it's the Mary Celeste. You see something very odd about it. You don't see anybody moving on it, nothing. So you're like, whoa, 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 where is everyone? There's no one at the helm. There's not even anybody swabbing the decks. So they board the ship, and to their amazement, there is not a single soul on board. And when I mean single soul, I don't mean just dead bodies scattered. I mean empty, completely gone. There is nobody there. All their belongings are there. There's no signs of a fight. There's no signs of struggle. The only indication that somebody boarded the ship is from them. So they look all over around, they look all over the ship and they see nothing, nobody. And the only thing missing is one lifeboat. Now you're out in the middle of the ocean and I mean, yeah, Portugal is probably off your starboard side or maybe even port side. Who knows what side the ship was facing. They might have rowed ashore, but nobody knows. Nobody has, uh, and throughout history, has come out to say, hey, uh, I'm a descendant of the Mary Celeste, and this is what my grandpappy told me, was that King Neptune told him to jump off the boat and swim for the shore because he was going to sink it. Now, nobody has said any kind of story like that. And maybe when we interview Davy Jones later on this month, maybe he might shed a little light on the subject because we know Davy Jones, he's the master of all secrets of the sea. Now, I would probably would have liked to have seen this. Uh, this would have been a great 1872 Burgers investigation. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine coming out there and trying to deduce what happened? Well, let, let's throw one theory out there. So in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula travels across the sea. He's on he's on the ship. 
He's got Renfield with him, and Renfield says, hey, master, it's okay to come out, master. Let's go. And so Dracula starts eating the people. So if they had a vampire on board, I mean, there's another instance of this uh, interview with the vampire where uh, Lestat teaches Louis that, uh, yes, rats are good to eat while on ship, but sometimes you can get those people and people just go missing. So what could have happened? Well, they could have had a vampire on board. And as he ran out of crew members to eat, he decided to pack up and leave the ship just drifting about. Now, why would he go through the trouble of disposing the bodies? Because it's really easy to dispose of a body at sea. Let's face it. Throw them overboard. That's it. Most cases of people going overboard, they don't know until hours later. So you could have snuck up on somebody that was just on watch and toss them overboard once you finished eating them. And nobody was ever the wiser. I mean, what are you going to do? Hey, where's Peggy at? What, what happened to Peg Leg? Where'd he go? Yeah, it'd be hours before they know. And then we're like, well, you know, if he fell over, that's it. We're not going to look for him because we don't know when, where, or how. So that's my personal theory of the Mary Celeste is that there is a vampire that was boarded the ship and they're responsible for the one lifeboat that left. Man, talk about crazy mystery. I love little things like this. Well, let's go ahead and get back to our movie here on Frightening Tales. Well, I won't know until I run it through the computer, but it looks like the profile of it dips here like this for an extensive blind spot. Something like a cloud, only it was moving too fast for any cloud. I did our course from northeast. Two bits that never showed up on a single radar scope. What? Never mind. I don't see anything but sky. Neither do I, now. I lost it when it got right overhead. Where did that come from? We don't register a hat full of wind. Brother, that was more than a hat full.
like something collided with us up there. Yeah. A flying battleship that wasn't there. Hello! Hello! Here! Over here! Jack, I make him myself. Fine for the snake bite. Hello, dear. Mr. McAfee? That's right. Is that the pilot? Yeah. Okay, boys. They made a reservation for you on a commercial flight in New York City. Sending a car to take you and the young lady to the airport. What about the wrecked plane? We've got orders to seal off the area. Real hush-hut. What happened? Did you tangle with a flying saucer or something? Oh, nothing so domestic as a flying saucer, officer. Just a flying battleship. Well, have a good time with your flying battleship. Your car will be here soon. Where's the plane, here? North 14, past the road. Let's go, boys. Hello? Oui, this is the farm of Pierre Broussard. Oh, I am a man. General Van Paskirk for you, Mr. McAfee. Uh-oh. Feel another snake bite coming on. More medicine. Well, flying battleship, pink elephant, same difference. You really should try buttermilk instead. I said it looked like a battleship, not that it was a battleship. Should have called it an overgrown adding machine, then at least you'd have believed me. General Buskirk? McAfee here. Yes, sir, I'm aware that the pilot called in a UFO. No, I didn't see anything myself this time. Neither did Miss Caldwell. Oh, the radar picked up nothing but our plane in the area. Well, I was kind of expecting that too. Joke. False alarm. Look here, General, what kind of an infantile jackass do you take me for? I tell you that... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand, sir. When the shepherd cried wolf, they believed him. The first time, at least. Civil Aeronautics Board is sending up an investigating team first thing in the morning. So is the Air Force as soon as the CAB is done. When we get to New York, but to keep ourselves available for questioning. This grass must have a hole in it. it. Keeps disappearing. How's the jug holding out, Pierre? You like Pierre's Applejack, oui? Ah, perfect antidote for snake bite, thunder, lightning, and disbelieving generals. Fill her up, Pierre. What's that? Something scared the animal. 
Easy, Pierre. Easy. You're safe. You're in the house. Cacagna. It was the Cacagna. I saw <laughs> What's a Cacagna, Pierre? Come on. Tell us about it. It's just a devil in the storm. The face of the wolf and the body of the woman. With wings. Bigger than I can tell. You probably saw an eagle, Pierre. Oh, no. It was La Cacagna. La Cacagna. Oh, I remember. Now I read it somewhere. It's a superstition, a, a legend that the French Canadians started and came across the border with. Yeah, it vaguely rings a small bell with me, too. It was probably just the lightning in the storm, Pierre. You just imagined the whole no, thing. No, no. I saw La Cacagna. Here, take another swallow of this. Pierre, he thinks he saw something weird in the sky. I saw her. I saw La Cacagne. He can't get it out of his head. Yeah, I know. I live up this way myself. There's a lot of the old folks around here believe that yarn. But this is the first time I ever heard anybody claim he really saw the old witch. You come to take us to the airport? Yeah, car outside. Oh, I hate to leave him like this. Now, don't worry, ma'am. Joe here will stay with him. We'd better hurry. They're holding that plane for you. Come on, Sally. They're holding a plane for us. We'd better get with it. We haven't even thanked him. I'm afraid the social amenities won't mean very much to a man in Pierre's condition. He's right, ma'am. You'd never get through the way he's scared stiff right now. Scared? So he thought he saw a big bird. Why should that paralyze him so with fright? Didn't he tell you? Tell us what? The legend. According to the story they tell, if you see this big bird, it's a sign that you're going to die real soon. <laughs> that plane's waiting. We better go. Okay, Sergeant. I'm your host, Justin, the Ghoul Man, Red Man, and I'm joined by Tommy. This month we are chilling in the Caribbean on a secret island location. We're still waiting to meet with Mr. Gill, who invited us to his rum and cigar bar. Uh, I highly suspect that we have more than just rum and cigar to enjoy. We are going to get some great and frightening, scary stories. So right now we're talking about some of the amazing sea stories or frightening sea stories or even the bizarre sea stories like this one from 2012. So apparently on Reddit, this story was shared a lot. And when I mean a lot, we'll take Donald Trump's definition of a lot. People were on a cruise in Bermuda while they were enjoying their night out on the decks I mean, who wouldn't? This is the Caribbean we're talking about. It's always beautiful weather down here. But these people, they saw a large cloud part and a giant beam of bright blue light went straight from the cloud all the way to the horizon. Now, they didn't see where it went, what it did, but they were fairly certain it was not a lightning bolt. 
And for a few seconds, the sky was lit up in a bright blue array of color. Now, how do you get a bright blue array of color? An array of color means there was a bunch of colors present. So let's see again. So they didn't think it was a shooting star since the bolt of light descended in a perfectly straight-edged line. No one on the ship, even the captain, with experience sailing Bermudan waters, ever figured out what it was. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let me take a crack at this. What do you think it is, Tommy? UFO. I mean, we just did a whole episode on UFOs and they're declassifying them and saying, hey, yeah, we got the spacecraft. Straight blue line. What was that? Oh, that was probably a UFO shooting a laser across the sky at like a Navy drone or something like that. That's a pretty good theory. Or, uh, I, I got it, I got it. You know how all those uh, movies with the big cars and the fast cars, when they hit that nitrous oxide, you see that blue little flame come out the exhaust? That's what it was. The UFO hit its own version of nitrous oxide and, or nitro and shot clear across the horizon. Folks, that's a UFO. I don't know how you can explain anything else. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. It's unidentified aerial phenomenon. We don't want to sound like a bunch of crazies over here. We're not conspiracy theorists or anything like that, but we want to continue to be taken seriously. We need to say UAP. That's my boy, Tommy. That's my boy. Now, I've spent some time at sea on a ship, and the best thing I ever did was sit out on the flight deck at night just to watch the sky. I mean, you could see some pretty good stars. Now, I never saw anything like I see in these pictures or photographers that take a picture of the night sky and see all the stars in the universe. I highly suspect those are photoshopped, added in, just for some great pictures. But who knows? Maybe a trip to Australia would cure me of that. But I do know it was quite peaceful out on the flight deck, the nice little breeze, the ocean hitting up against the ship. Those were all great. And I did see lightning at sea. And uh, it never did light up the sky like this story is saying. So I kind of agree with the passengers that it probably wasn't a lightning bolt. But that, that that's stuff like that that I find pretty cool. Yeah, I do too. Now, we're going to go ahead and go back to our movie here on Frightening Tales. When we come back, we have some more stuff like the Baltic Sea Anomaly. So stick around to Frightening Tales. Many-faceted creature, this Mr. McAfee. First engineer and pilot, and now lover and poet. Oh, the line of poetry was from Shakespeare. I know, but where did that impulse come from? Well, I feel maybe. I like baseball. Or maybe just sitting next to a pretty girl. That's enough in itself sometimes. Even sitting next to Mademoiselle Mathematician? Or should we stick to the baseball reference? Mm, there are figures, and there are figures. Inescapable logic. Corny, but true. You almost overwhelm me. Almost? Mm-hmm. Well, let's finish the job. Look at that moon. Speaking of uh, baseball and left field, 
somebody warn me that you make up your own rules. Whoever said that's no friend of mine. But he's a friend of mine. Sabotage. Oh, much too dramatic. Let's stick to baseball and say instead, out, trying to steal second. Back to the bush leagues, finished. A quitter, I knew it. No fight, no spirit. Of course, the umpire could always reverse that decision. No, no shortcuts. Must follow the pattern. First the minor leagues, and then the major leagues. I stick to the rules, Mitch. Sorry about that. Why be sorry? You can always... Pattern. Hmm? Pattern. What's the matter? Pattern, I need one of your maps. The orthographic projection, the pull to equator. Give it to me, will you? Sure. I think I have it here somewhere. Ah, here it is. What's that? Open your map. Now, where I sighted the UFO where the search plane disappeared, the transpolar airliner, our plane at Pierre's, and finally, the Navy patrol plane. Well, you were muttering about a pattern. Well, see it? Well, no. No straight line, no curve, nothing. Wait. Perfect pattern in time and distance. Each incident, each cross, later than the one before, each one further out in the spiral from the center. You mean something, something in the air flew a pattern like that? Yeah. Something I saw. Something that flew over and passed me in the air. Well, it would have to be traveling at incredible speed to cover all the distance and the time involved. Something that seemingly destroyed four planes and barely missed you the first time. Yes. Mm. Something like your flying battleship? Okay, forget the whole thing. Oh, well now, Mitch, be reasonable. Why that pattern just to knock down a few scattered planes? And what? A meteorite? Impossible. A guided missile? Well, that would stop with the first plane it hit. And who would launch it, and for what reason? No, Mitch. Coincidence, yes, but pattern, no. Here's your map. Well, you are a child. Mitch, think. If there was anything flying this kind of a pattern, why, it would be tracked by dozens of different radars. And none of them spotted the thing, so what? Well, maybe it was Pierre's Cacagne, with the head of a wolf and a body of a woman with wings as big as I can tell. There's no need to be sarcastic. Look. Would you two mind being quiet so the rest of us can sleep? Thank you. Sorry. Maybe I was being childish. Mitch McAfee, Flying Sherlock Holmes. 
I think you did make better sense with your poetry than you did with your detective deductions. I know another poem. Oh? Be plain in dress and sober in your diet. In short, my dearie, kiss me and be quiet. Date the 18th of the month. Sky clear, light clouds. Visibility unlimited. Time, 01815 hours. A CAB plane flies toward the scene of the previous day's crash involving Mitchell McAfee. On board, four members of the Civil Aeronautics Board investigating team and a pilot. Time, 0816 hours. Another significant moment in history. pilot radios in a report on a UFO. A bird. A bird as big as a battleship, circling and preparing to attack the CAB plane. Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the Ghoul Man Redman, and I'm joined by Tommy, and we are discussing some fun sea stories. Uh, hadn't really seen more any more scary things other than like the Mary Celeste, but let's talk about the Baltic Sea Anomaly back in 2011. The sonar equipment of a diving company called Ocean X detected something strange in the sea. Now, I know there's a lot of things that you can detect in the sea, ships, submarines, all kinds of crazy stuff. But they they were off the coast of Sweden when they or when they detected this object. It measured 60 meters thick with evenly placed grooves in the surface. It appeared to be located at the end of some 300 meter long runway. Countless researchers, divers and scientists proposed their ideas for what the object and its arrangement could actually be. They said it could either be a battleship gun turret to sediment displaced by fishing trawlers. Sediment displaced by fishing trawlers. What does that sound like to you, Tommy? That sounds like a weather balloon. Yeah, we shot down a UFO. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, it was just a weather balloon. That's the uh, unexplained phenomenon for you there. It's a weather balloon. Really? Sediment is the best they could come up with? Come on. I know what that is. They said it looks like a runway. That's leading up to Atlantis. Yeah, that's right. That's the airport for Atlantis when they decide to rise up and reconquer the Earth. And there's also reports that they believe this object is a glacial deposit naturally settling onto the, into the obscure form. Uh, from, from a guy who watches a lot of UFOs and stuff, evenly placed 
is not natural. That's man-made or even alien-made, however you want to look at it. So there's no way in the world that that was a glacial deposit. But they never, they never know where this anomaly came from. So have they been back to look at this? I don't know. Are they still trying to study it? Because if it moved, then we really know the Atlantean, uh, the, the people of Atlantis. So, oh no, we've been discovered. So we're going to get out of here. So we got another, we got another story before we hit our, before we get back to our movie. This one's back in 2012. A small group of scuba divers exploring the waters off the coast of Santa Monica reported seeing another diver with a pink tank toward the bottom of a blue hole. As they neared the diver, it vanished from their eyes. Could you imagine that? You're scuba diving around. You see somebody with a pink tank. A pink tank is weird in the first place. Not too many people have a pink tank. I know there was a uh, shark diver many years ago who uh, was originally part of the Jaws filming. She wore a pink wetsuit, but she never had a pink tank. She was always in the pink wetsuit. And that was a pretty cool story on National Geographic that I watched last year. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but a pink tank is what reminded me of that. And a similar story, let's get back to this story. A similar story was told by divers on a diving trip in Grenada, who saw another diver in a white shirt waving at them as he swam by. The unsuspecting divers assumed it to be one of the members of their trip. But upon returning to the boat, no one was there wearing a similar white shirt or said they saw a diver of the description. So what are you telling me is that you can go ghost hunting in the ocean? Well, if your equipment can withstand all that water, then yeah, go ghost hunting. Man, ghost divers. Could you imagine what kind of story you had to have or what had to happen to you to be a ghost trapped in the water? That it was pretty creepy. I mean, you don't hear of um, when you hear typical ghost stories of somebody that lingers around. It's because they died violently, and well, I guess either a shark attack or drowning is quite a violent death. Uh, that 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 would be my uh, guess as to why those ghosts linger around. But uh, all I know is if I saw that, uh, I'd be out of the water, or I'd be calling Vergers. Or maybe we should give burgers a call and let's go uh, see if we can find some ghosts in this area. Well, let's go ahead and get back to our movie here on Frightening Tales. When we come back, we've got a few more stories, disappearing submarines and man-eating seaweed all coming up here. Stop leaning on the buzzer. I'm coming. Mr. McAfee? Or a reasonable facsimile thereof. General Buskirk's respect, sir. He'd like to see you right away. Oh, I have a heart, Captain. I got in late last night. I just about fell asleep when you woke me. Sorry, sir. The General says it's urgent. So is my sleep. My orders are to bring you to the General's office at once, even if I have to take you into protective custody. Okay, Captain. Don't get in a tizzy. You keep your shirt on. I'll go get my pants on. My sighting? The search plane, the transpolar airliner, our plane at Pierre's, and the Navy patrol plane. Too much, and it fits too well to be just coincidence. There have been two more since the Navy plane. Private plane here last night. The CAB plane with four passengers and a pilot here. All following your theoretical patterns, smack dab on the nose. No radar tracks, I suppose. 
As usual, since you started this crazy nightmare, nothing. Except about the planes. Did the pilots report anything? Not a word from the pilot of the private plane, but the CAB pilot reported a UFO. Did he say what it was? Yes. A bird. A bird as big as a battleship circled and attacked the plane. <laughs> Believe me, Mr. McAfee, this is no joke. Oh, no. That plane was completely destroyed, and all five men on the board seem to have completely disappeared from the face of the earth. Now, you're an electronics expert. Could there have been anything that big up in the sky and not be picked up by radar? Impossible. But I saw it myself. Yes. Three men reported they saw something. And two of them are now dead. That makes me chief cook and bottle washer in a one-man birdwatcher society. Mr. McAfee, this is vitally important. Did you get a good look at it? No, it was just a blur as it went past. Oh, I wish I'd had a camera with me. Camera? General Buskirk, before I went out on this radar assignment with Mitch, I was doing earth curvature calibration work. Well, how does that help us on this? Well, we use film strips, photographed from inside test rockets and from fixed cameras and observation balloons. Sally, maybe you've got it. If those balloons are still up, there's a bare possibility they photographed this thing, whatever it is. General Edward Considine, Pentagon. Priority, fast. information pertaining to it and the bird are classified as top secret. Notify all agents and personnel involved who have handled the project or will handle it. Yes, sir. Johnson. Uh, yes, sir. Put the entire command on combat readiness right away. Notify the Pentagon and have them tell General Considine I'm on my way. Yes, sir. Colonel Tyler Field, line one, please. Oh, Nate, Nate, uh, Buskirk here. Warm up my plane and file a flight plan for me to National Washington. Right. Oh, coming now. Two extra passengers. Okay. You two are coming with me to Washington. Ms. Caldwell, Mr. McAfee. There's some sort of bird, all right. There's no question of that. Miss Caldwell. Is it possible that this, um, this bird has been flying in blind spot areas that our radar can't pick up? No, sir. I checked carefully. At least ten different radar sites should have tracked it. Mr. McAfee, could speed or altitude affect the ability of our radar to pick it up? No. There's no scientific or any other kind of reason in the world why our radars don't track it. They just don't. Period. And what you are saying in essence is that black is white and two and two make six. Look, General... 
I didn't invent this flying nightmare. I just saw it and reported it. The general understands, Mr. McAfee. He's not blaming you for anything. Relax, man. Relax? When do we stop relaxing and start doing something? Good sense isn't confined exclusively to civilians, Mr. McAfee. We know how to take care of ourselves and the country. Easy, Van. Easy. Take it easy. There's a general air alert on this very minute, son. Hundreds of planes from every command are combing the skies, searching for this overgrown buzzard. We'll find it all right, never fear. And when we do, General, then what? Yes? Good. Where? Okay, this is official now. Pass them the word to shoot it down. No questions, no games, no stalling. Just shoot it down. Yes. Give me a tape on all air-to-ground and air-to-air -air channels and pipe it through a hotline to me here. One of our squadrons just spotted it. I've ordered them to attack and shoot it down. Our planes are armed with cannon, machine gun, and rockets. This should be the end of the big bird who was there that wasn't. You'll be able to hear it as it happens. Target below and to the side. See it? Yow, holy Toledo. I've seen some mighty big chicken hawks back on the farm, but man, this baby takes the cake. Honest to Pete, I'll never call my mother-in-law an old crow again. This is Easy Baker, squadron leader. Peel off on signal. One pass and then you're on your own. looking at these ghost stories of the seas we've talked about ghost divers we've talked about strange blue lights in the sky in bermuda uh, and we've also discussed uh, other things that we find interesting about the sea or even scary like the mary celeste and it's the ghost ship now in 1968 is where our next story takes place and this one's a bit scary because 
four separate submarines from four different countries vanished without a trace. No, this is not the Titan. They didn't do this around the Titanic, so let, let's back off of that story right now. So submarines from the U.S., France, Israel, and the Soviet Union all disappeared at the same time. Now, this is kind of crazy because you would think, oh, 1960s, we're in the Cold War. Well, that wouldn't include France and Israel. What are those two doing around? So you got these four countries, their submarines just, boom, disappear. Now, Thor, uh, now there are some theories like accidental torpedo attacks, but how are you going to keep four countries quiet about a torpedo attack accidentally? I mean, there's no way the Soviet Union, especially in 1960, fesses up that they accidentally shot a U.S. submarine. And there's no way the U.S. would admit to it either because they don't want to admit to UFOs. They don't want to admit to killing JFK. They don't want to admit to anything. So why would they admit to accidental submarine shootings? And then we got France and Israel. Now, I knew France had submarines. I wasn't too certain that Israel would have their own submarine force. Uh, that, that one to me is a bit odd and a little crazy. Now, they said accidental torpedo attacks kept quiet by the government. And even a Navy court of inquiry announced that the cause of the loss cannot be definitively ascertained. None of the remains of any of the subs have ever been found. You know what I think? You know that anomaly we were talking about in the Baltic Sea? Yeah, they took the subs because they're full of people of Atlantis. They're studying our technology. We got a little too close, and then they took them. So was it a joint mission between the four countries because they were exploring something? Yeah, probably. That's what I think. So we know how hard it is to find anything at the bottom of the ocean. The people of Atlantis didn't steal the submarines or blew them out of the water. What did? Well, let's try out the next story. Man-eating seaweed. Now, I know I'm saving sea creatures for a later episode, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about man-eating seaweed. Because this is just frightening. According to old folklore, stories of carnivorous seaweed in the Saragossa Sea were responsible for a number of crew disappearances in the 1800s. This body of water is known for the massive accumulations of sargosum, or collectives of a certain type of dense brown seaweed. A number of empty ships have been found sailing in its waters with the crew members like that of the Mary Celeste, gone without a trace. There's no evidence of any seaweed with such a man-eating quality. So where exactly do the details of this urban legend come from has yet to be explained. Did you not watch the movie The Blob? That's what I was thinking. The blob. I mean, who? if you know these people are disappearing in a certain sea and you got the seaweed, I want to know how the seaweed's eating man. I know, because they can't really find any kind of, you can't go scoop it up and see any kind of teeth. Uh, what other things could I think of that uh, reminds me of man-eating seafood? Or man-eating seaweed? Uh, how about uh, that little short story from Creepshow 2, The Black Tar? That was in the middle of the lake. That's pretty creepy. 
Or maybe, maybe, maybe we'll go, since we're speaking of creep show, let's go to the first creep show. The one where the short story with Stephen King, when he finds the meteorite, he touches it and he starts becoming a plant. Yeah, there we go. The seaweed that they found in the Saragossa Sea is actually alien rocks or alien plants, and it just took over the people. Now, I would like to see, I mean, there, there's an area in the world where ships were just found like the Mary Celeste. No crew members whatsoever. Everything's left untouched. Man, that's creepy. Either we have a very big vampire problem or we got an alien problem. Wow, what an amazing world to be live in. Let's get back to our movie here on Frightening Tales when we come back. The Devil's Sea. Here. Machine guns. Cannons. Rockets. Nothing touched it. Those pilots. We'll find it all right, never fear. The end of the big bird. You're right, Miss Caldwell, when we find it, what then? Phase two off standby. Operational. Notify the Joint Chiefs. Yes, sir. It doesn't make sense. It's just a bird. A big bird. Guns, cannons, rockets. It's just a bird. Sure, just a bird. Ten million dollars worth of radar can't track it. Enough firepower to wipe out a regiment can't even slow it down. Sure, it's just a bird. Well, what are we going to do? Just sit around here and weep? Oh, climb off our We're not crying, McAfee. And we're not running away. But it's hard to come up with answers when you don't even know what the question is. Being flipped doesn't help any. I'm not criticizing either of you. Or the Air Force, or those guys who just died trying to shoot that thing down. I'm not being flipped, and I'm not wisecracking. I'm just scared. We all are, I guess. So let's face that and then try and do something about that bird. Any suggestions, McAfee? Sure. Electronic spitballs. Then. Close, General, close. Only not electronic spitballs. Atomic spitballs. Yes? Phase two operational. All units alerted and ready. Good. Call for you, Dr. Carol Neumann at the research lab. Now take it on two. This is General Considine, Dr. Neumann. Say that again. Good, good. You stay where you are, I'll be right over. Research lab's been kept right up to date. They've been working on the wreckage of that CAB plane and the plane that you two cracked up in. Find anything new, Ed? They think they've figured out what that bird is and where it came from. About those atomic spitballs. An hour before your plane landed in Washington, I ordered guided missiles with atomic warheads made ready for every launching site in the country where the fallout pattern makes it safe to explode them. The order you heard me give to make phase two operational was an order to fire those missiles the moment that bird is spotted anywhere. General, I'm sorry, I guess I... Don't apologize, son. I admire your spunk, and you keep climbing on our backs whenever we've messed up any of the detail. Ma'am? Sorry, Mac. I guess we're all trying to do our best. Uh, you two better come along. You're up your ears in this thing anyway. Come on, let's go. The atom is the basic building block of all matter. 
And the atom this model represents is like every atom as we know it. The nucleus is positive, the electrons are all negative. In this respect, it has been maintained that all atoms are alike, but this is wrong, all wrong. According to the law of electrodynamics, all nature is symmetrical, it is in balance. And if there is matter, then there must also be antimatter, a symmetrical mirror image. Now here we have a positive nucleus, negative electrons. In the reverse, we must obviously have a negative nucleus with positive electrons. Science has proved that this is so. Not in this Earth, nor in this solar system, but somewhere in the universe, there are stars, planets, whole galaxies made up of antimatter. What do you mean to say, Doctor, that this, this bird is made of antimatter, that it's reversed, uh, inside out, a mirror image, as you call it? Just a minute, General. Uh, doctor, it's been proven that antimatter exists, but it's also been proven that whenever it comes in contact with ordinary matter, they annihilate one another, blow up. Now, why didn't the bird explode when it was hit or when it touched something? Uh, you are both right and wrong. The bird itself is not antimatter, but the bird unquestionably radiates some sort of force, an energy screen, some invisible barrier, and that energy screen is antimatter. Guns, cannons, rockets. No wonder nothing touched it. Stuff hit the antimatter screen and blew up before it could get close. Mitch, this explains the failure of the radar. Yeah. No reflecting surface. The radar waves wouldn't bounce off. They'd slide around. So with no echo, no tracks. Dr. Norman, a uh, couple of questions. All this isn't just guesswork on your part. No, it is not guesswork, Jim. Evidently, this bird is able to open that antimatter screen to use its beak, its claws, its wings as destructive weapons. Now here is part of the wreckage. Examination by a staff of scientists has told us the whole incredible story. It has been checked and double checked. Is there anything else, General? Yes, Doctor. Where did this bird come from? Here is a piece of feather from the bird found in the wreckage. At least we call it a feather. We don't know what it is, only what it looks like. It has defied chemical analysis, the electroscope, every conceivable test. It contains no substance known on the earth today, no element recognizable by man. Finding that out was expensive. How so? We had several of these feathers. This is the only piece left. As a last resort, we tried testing them in electronic analyzers. Look. That bird is extraterrestrial. Comes from outer space. From some godforsaken antimatter galaxy, millions and millions of light years from the Earth. other explanation is possible. A van will fly you two back to New York. 
I would appreciate it if you'd hold yourselves in readiness and of course you understand that everything that you have seen and heard is classified. My command is ready, Ed, and waiting at the end of a hotline. Just phone. <laughs> Just uh, phone, Van? Well, I'll need help. All the help I can get. We all will. The only trouble is that the last time I talked to a chaplain, there wasn't any telephone line to the one and only place where we can get the kind of help that we need. General Considine, this is an emergency. Get me the Secretary of Defense. Up to now, only one man had seen the bird and lived. Among those who knew of it, its existence was a closely guarded secret. But even as arrangements were made for an emergency meeting of the President, the Cabinet, the National Defense Board, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, even then the bird revealed itself to the world at large, and complacency quickly turned to panic. Panic, terror, and horror. No corner of the earth was spared the terror of looking up into God's blue sky and seeing. Not peace and security, but the feathered nightmare on wings. Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the Ghoul Man, Red Man, and I'm joined by Tommy. And today we're in the South Caribbean Sea, just hanging out on a nice secluded island hidden from the rest of the world. You can only get here through private invitation. Man, when I first got that invitation, I thought we we're going to the island like in uh, Mortal Kombat because we got on that ship, it sailed through some fog, and voila, here we are. Down here in the Caribbean. It is kind of crazy how you can hide things out in the sea. I mean, we've got the Bermuda Triangle we've talked about a little bit already. And now we're going to go to another very similar story idea of the Bermuda Triangle. And that's the Devil's Sea. This is a Bermuda Triangle in the Pacific. They call it the Devil's Sea. And it's off the coast of Japan. Apparently, ancient legends tells of enormous hidden dragons that lurk in this body of water and unexplained disappearances of numerous Japanese fishing vessels. But they don't do much to dispel these stories either. Now, I don't know what the going rate of disappearing ships are and off the coast of Japan. Now, there, there's a lot of things we can throw out there, but did you hear what they said? Enormous hidden dragons that lurk in the bodies of water. Man. I can't think of a famous dragon at all that could live off the coast of Japan. Oh, I got this one, dude. I've got it. Godzilla. Now, that's a dragon, my friend. He's always coming out going, getting mad because they're not feeding him properly. Yeah, I, I, would, I would strongly suspect Godzilla. I mean, he's got to come out and attack Mothra and all the other ones from time to time. And he's got to let them know that, you know, hey, I'm the king of dragons. So uh, that's my thinking, too. Godzilla. But disappearing sea vessels. So if we got dragons eating ships in, off the coast of Japan, 
Well, what's in the Bermuda Triangle? Could it too be a giant, you know, dragon? Or maybe it's the Megalodon, since we hadn't found one of those in a while. You know, if we got ships still disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle, and the Devil Sea says it's dragons, well, couldn't we have dragons or giant sea creatures ourselves? Maybe we'll explore that in the episode of Sea Creatures on Frightening Tales. You know, things like a three-meter great white shark getting eaten by a sea monster. Those are all kinds of great stories to tell then. Well, I hope you enjoyed the, these frightening stories of the strange things that happen at sea. And when we come back, we're going to review the movie Ghost Ship here on Frightening Tales. I worked half the night running your figures through the calculating machine. Hope the results are what you want. Good, thanks. Mitch. Hmm? Oh. Thank you. Oh, really? For two days and a night now, ever since we got back from Washington, you've had your nose buried in all those papers. Figuring, calculating. Mitch, you've got to stop to sleep and eat. No, I've been busy. But you're working on it. Have anything to do with the bird? Mm-hmm. To destroy the bird? Uh-huh. Well, will it work, Mitch? I don't know. I honestly haven't the faintest foggiest idea. It's one of those cockeyed concepts that you pull down out of cloud eight somewhere in sheer desperation. Said anything about this to General Buskirk or General Considine? And have them gently remind me to stay in my own backyard? No, thanks. What's the difference? There's only a million to one chance it'll work. It's just something to do instead of this deadly sitting around and waiting. Mitch. I've been thinking about the bird, too. Yeah, you and everybody else in the world. Ever stop to wonder why the bird came here? Could it have been for food? I mean, does the bird eat, in the sense that we understand eating? Well, Dr. Neumann says that it absorbs energy from the things it destroys, including humans. Sort of a molecular osmosis. Could it have come here to rest? If it did, it sure shooting isn't. Right. So far as we knew, the bird just kept flying around the earth. Always flying, never stopping. Well, that's what bothered me, so I called General Buzzkirk. Hmm? Mitch, remember Pierre Broussard at the farm? Yeah. Him and his like a Kanye. Or whatever he thought he saw. Just goes to prove what they always say. Truth is stranger than fiction. Well, this was no fiction. Pierre did see something. He saw the bird. 12,000 feet up at night in a storm. No, the bird came down to earth. But you just finished saying that... Well, the... General Buzzkirk told me they found the mark of a giant claw in a field next door to Pierre Broussard's farm. And I know why. The bird came here to build a nest. Nest. Eggs. More birds. It's got to be true. There's just no other reason for it. General Buskirk, 
McAfee calling. This is urgent. Maybe gather up those papers for me, will you please? Take these two. General Buskirk, McAfee. Now, please don't argue or ask for reasons. I'll explain later. It's desperately important. I need a fast plane and then a helicopter. Please, please, General, believe me, I know what I'm doing. Pierre Broussard's place, the farm. Right, we're leaving right now. Sally's with me. Yes, we'll go straight to the airport. We interrupt this program for an important announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, speaking from Washington, Lieutenant General Considine, United States Air Force. We are faced with a crisis. A crisis for which all the nations of the world in unprecedented cooperative action have found, as yet, no solution. Until we do, we shall not rest. We have tried every weapon in the arsenals of the mightiest armies on Earth. They have proven worse than useless. Atomic hydrogen weapons capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the Earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. Two days ago, all aircraft were grounded. Deprived of its source of food or energy, however the bird survives, the bird began a series of attacks on the ground in a fantastic orgy of destruction never before seen. Nothing has been safe from attack by the bird. Cattle, horses, fields, homes, trains, all manner of transportation. It has become obvious that the bird is attracted by movement. Accordingly, your government and all the governments of the world have declared a state of emergency and instituted martial law. In addition to grounding all aircraft, all surface transportation, cars, trucks, buses, trains, ships at sea, all such traffic must be halted at once. The movement of food and essential supplies will be handled by the armed forces. Blackout conditions will be observed from sunset to dawn every night until further notice. Movement of any sort on the streets or highways during the daylight hours must be held to an absolute minimum and only where it has been authorized as essential. You have just heard General Considine speaking from Washington. Stay tuned here. Mitch. Well, that plane is waiting for us. We've got to get up to Pierre's place. No, Peppy, not like your Kanye. A million times worse. Let's get out of here. 
nest, all right. No sign of the egg. Well, it might be somewhere down in there. The way to find out is to go down there and look. I can't find you! search parties where in the world wherever the bird has been sighted just on the off chance that there might be more eggs found and destroyed that much we can do well, let's get back to the city oh, with that bird around it's too dangerous to fly we'll leave the chopper and take Pierre's car he won't be needing it welcome back to frightening tales and now it's time for our kegel movie pick of the week from the kegel horror film club since we're talking about ghost stories at sea, I felt it's time to uh, reflect on the movie Ghost Ship. Uh, I think it came out early 2000s, like 2002. Now, this movie has a very gruesome scene to start off the movie with. And uh, it, it's... We don't know why the ship is cursed. We do know that the curse can transfer from ship to ship. We, we discover that later on. Now... I've made this new promise about when I review movies that I'm not worried about the characters. I'm not worried about the actors and how they portrayed how the movie was filmed. I'm more interested, did the story scare me? And this movie, when I first saw it, did scare me. Now, as with a lot of horror movies, once you get the jump scares through, once you get through the story, the rewatchability goes down hard. So you got to base it on just the story alone. And the story is the curse. Now, you start off with a cruise ship that just flat out murders the entire guest crew and everything. And it keeps you know, a few souls around to move uh, the treasure about or to protect the treasure that's on there. Now, I don't really remember what the treasure was. All I remember from this movie was that 
the ghosts would lure in the members of this salvage team. They discovered the ship out in the middle of the ocean. They claim the rights to it. They hook up to it. And then from there, they start investigating. Now, they're like a five, six-man crew. And the ship has been afloat for years. It floated around aimlessly. And the bodies are gone. So, again, we got the Mary Celeste here. So that's the interesting part of the story. Now, for any story to survive, one person must survive. And that's usually your hero of the story. And she does survive this, but it was horrific. Uh, each ghost that appeared appeared to a certain greed or a certain uh, vice for each of the crew members that would entice them to explore this part of the ship or do actions or cause them to mistrust each other. So it's a very strong story in that point. And I like the way uh, they started out as a great, big, strong family kind of team, but the ghosts and their greed just absolutely tears them apart, makes them do stupid things. And each of the deaths are equally horrifying. And I really, that's what I really enjoyed about it was that it's not your normal run of the mill horror movie. You're stuck in a house or you're trying to get away from a slasher. You just really don't know what's going on. And then when you finally get off the ship, you survived, you breathe that sigh of relief, and you look out and you see your crew members, or at least the ghosts of your crew members, boarding another passenger ship with the same treasure that was already on that other ship. Here you go. You thought you sunk that ship. You thought you got rid of it. Nope. The curse just transferred itself to another ship, which could have left it open for a sequel, which I'm glad they didn't. Um, but Ghost Ship is a very, very good movie to check out after tonight's episode of Frightening Tales. So let's go ahead and wrap up our movie here on Frightening Tales. I'm Justin, and we will see you in a few minutes.
boy's badly hurt, but he's alive. The girl's unconscious. There's a town up ahead in the hospital. We'll take him there. You and I are going into Washington tonight. I'll bring the car over here for the kids. Caldwell McAfee, I'm a busy man. I hope this isn't some sort of crackpot wild goose chase. You and me both, General. Well, it's your dime, boy. What is it you want to show me? How to shoot the bird out of the sky. Some new type of weapon? No, with regular guns, bullets, and bombs. Anything you want. McAfee, I told you that I haven't got time to listen. General, this idea of mine may prove to be as phony as a $3 bill, but I still think it's worth a listen. Well, go ahead. Now, I don't care whether that bird came from outer space or up a saddle river, New Jersey. It's still made of flesh and blood of some sort, and vulnerable to bullets and bombs. If you can get past that antimatter energy screen. Right. That's exactly what I think, what I hope I figured out how to do. I have just invested a dime of my own, boy. Keep talking. Now, this is a blow-up I had made of a bubble chamber photograph. The chamber was bombarded with high-speed particles. Result? A photograph of a trail made by what is known as a Mu Mason. But notice this hole, this gap right here. This gap is one of the most exciting and significant recent discoveries in all science. You probably know about it, Dr. Neumann. Yes, yes, the formation of a temporary masic atom, the Mu Mason with a hydrogen nucleus. Right, but Mu Masons are 210 times heavier than electrons, which means that in a masic atom, the electrons revolve around a nucleus at just a small fraction of the ordinary distance in the normal atom. I know you don't understand all this, General, but stick with me. Now, the Masic atom is extremely small. Small enough to sift through the electron defenses of the ordinary atom and fuse with its nuclei. Atoms of matter or antimatter. Right, Doc. Now, if this thing of mine works, and we can get close, real close, and bombard that bird's antimatter energy shield with a stream of masic atoms, I think we can destroy that shield. The bird would be defenseless then except for beak, claws, and wings. You could hit it with everything but the kitchen sink. We've got kitchen sinks to spare, son. Do you think you can do it? Well, I kicked around some ideas. I'm not sure they'll work, but it's certainly worth a try. Well, what do you need? This lab, Dr. Lemon and his staff, Sally here to help with the math, and a blank check for supplies and equipment. It was yours before you finished asking for it. McAfee time is running out. Today, tomorrow, a week from now, maybe. Besides, I'd hate to lose that dime I've got invested in you. Good luck, son. Well, anybody ready for some work? Work or maybe some magic. What we need is a miracle. Here it is. A miracle. A dime's worth a miracle. This weapon would have to create masic atoms, not as rare and isolated laboratory phenomena, but in tremendous quantities. Eject them through some aiming and propelling device so they could travel indefinite distances through the air to arrive with sufficient speed and insufficient numbers to bombard or destroy an antimatter shield. Truly a miracle of science. Especially since the scientific total life expectancy for a masic atom up to now measured in laboratories had been one, two millionths of a second. Failure. 
failure. After failure. And while a handful of dedicated people struggle to achieve the impossible, panic spread to all corners of the earth. Panic and nightmare terror. Son, easy. You did your best. We can't have you killing the patient trying to cure the disease now, can we? A magnificent effort, Mitch. Magnificent. It's unfortunate it was doomed to failure from the start. Oh, great. Now, if somebody will just deliver the eulogy, the deceased can be safely laid away to rest. What's the matter with you? Are you all nuts or something? Mitch, are you all right? Sally, how long has it been since the explosion? About an hour and a half, two hours, I guess. Oh, you're wasting time. Easy, son, easy. Is that bird still in the air? Why, uh, yeah. You still want to shoot it down? Well, yes, yes, sure. Well, then, for Pete's sake, let's get with it. General Buzzkirk has had a plane waiting in that field outside of New York ever since we started the experiments. We've got to get the equipment installed on that plane. Mitch, the apparatus didn't work. The experiments failed. Mitch, please lie down in bed. You were hurt in the explosion. <laughs> oh, of course you don't know. The explosion was no accident. I did it on purpose. I used the basic atom projector. What? Sure, we had the basic wiring all fouled up. It was a simple matter of adjusting the polarity on the main condenser terminals. I figured it out while you two were asleep, set it up right, and tried it. Now, wait a minute, McAfee. Wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that that machine of yours works? Sure. What kind of plane has Buskart got waiting for you? An old uh, stripped-down B-25. Good. Maneuverability instead of speed. Yeah, the whole operation may depend on being able to turn on a dime. Well, then what in pieces are we waiting for? Well, that's what I've been talking about for ten minutes. Get me my pants, will you, General? Oh, Sally, get out of here. We've installed the ejector nozzle in the tail of the plane, pointing to the back. Rewiring the plane's generating system, plus an added bank of batteries, should give us more than enough power. Now, wait your problem. How many people do you need to operate this machine? A doctor, myself, and a calculator. Have you got someone coming up here for Sally to brief in a hurry? I don't want her on that plane. It's coming in from the city now. One question. Why do you aim that gimmick from the tail and not from the nose? Too dangerous from the nose. We might fly into our own missing bombardment and destroy the plane. Chances are, once we locate the bird and we're up in the air, the bird will chase us. And if it doesn't... But it attracts its attention somehow. Sandwiches and coffee. Thank you. Bird's been sighted, heading to the New York City. How long will it take you to finish? Hour and a half or two. 
Still got to connect the thing up. Ah, so long. We've got to take off in 15 minutes. You'll have to finish in the air. What about the calculator to replay Sally? Sorry, McAfee. We haven't got any time for that. Jim. Van, you'll fly. I'll back up. You'll clear the field for a takeoff. Right. Now, well, what are we waiting for? Get the rest of your stuff on board.
catching up with us fast. Got it. Close those circuits. to Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the ghoul man, red man, and I'm joined by Tommy. Tonight, we talked all about the crazy and the fantastical, frightening, amazing. Uh, any more adjectives I can add in there, Tommy? No, no, no. I think you've got the adjective front covered. We talked about all the little sea stories that we could find, like the man-eating seaweed, the devil's triangle, the Mary Celeste. If you have any more of those stories, send them over to kghoulradio at gmail.com, and I'll gladly take a look at them. Next week, we're going to be all over the sea creatures, and I'm not talking about giant sharks. We're saving them for later. I'm talking about the kraken, the great gillmen, the dinosaurs living under the water, and any other, and the serpent of the world. I'm having all kinds of fun with the sea creatures. We'll have a special guest next week, so you want to join me here on Frightening Tales. Frightening Tales.